All right. Well, good morning. You guys doing well? You look you look great. Most of you. <clears throat> Most of you look great. You all look great. Fantastic. Do you guys like the Advent thing? I was talking with some people this week, like pastor friends, and like, do you guys do Advent? Like, no. <clears throat> like, you don't do like the candles or celebration? Like, no. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I mean, to each their own, right? But then I asked them if they were doing service on Christmas, and they said no. I was like, oh, okay. This has nothing to do with anything. I just, <laughs> it's been bothering me, if I can be honest with you. Like, one of the biggest churches in our city is not having church service on Christmas morning. That's surprising to me. 8,000 people, no Christmas service. Not pointing fingers, I'm just saying, what are we doing here? Like, and I get it. People are like, well, we don't want to inconvenience people, right? We don't want to bring them in on Christmas morning. And I heard somebody say, a pastor of a really small church, small in our church, they are doing both Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. And, he's, and he, we were talking about this, and he goes, who are we doing this for? What, what are we doing this for? Are we gathering to, to be a comfort to the people so that they can, you know, pick or choose whatever they want? Are we here to honor the Lord like we should be day in and day out? But, you know, this is not, um, yeah, not very often that we have to, to, to balance this out. Every, what, seven or eight years or so, we, we have to contend with Christmas on a Sunday morning. Um, and if your, your family's like, you know what, we're just going to do, you're going to do church at home. Like, that's fine. You can do whatever you want. But at least it's an opportunity for you to come, right? And that's kind of the whole point in all of this. This is this is what we do. Um, we'll have a Christmas Eve service as well. This is not the time for announcements, but apparently it just turned into that. <laughs> Where we'll light the fifth candle, which is the what candle? Anybody know? The Christ candle. Yeah. So um, Saturday night we'll, we'll gather at 5 p.m. and we'll We'll do a short, condensed service. Mike will lead us in a devotional type service, and we'll light the fifth candle, and we'll celebrate. Um, this morning, we are we're going to look at the text that Keith read out of Luke chapter one. You know, we've been kind of going parallel or in tandem with the, with the readings from our Advent. And this morning, we lit which candle was it? The angel's candle. The angel's candle. And so. I will reread portions of that as we go through. He just read it. I think he did a great job. Pretty sure you were paying attention, so I don't feel like I need to, to, to recap it. But um, like I said, I will highlight a few things as we go. But I want to I pause briefly, just ask for the Lord's help and our focus and our prayer and taking in the Word of God in a way that we can use it in our lives. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness your consistency, your faithfulness, your love, your goodness. God, you are so faithful. We just love you. (laughs) We love you. Thank you that we can gather freely in this place. Thank you, Lord, that we can lift our voices in praise to you through song. Thank you that we can sit and hear the word of God. But Lord, I know that you desire so much more than that of your people. Yes, we rejoice together and we're here and we want your help in order to hear and understand and apply the word, be doers of the word, Father God. But we also know that when we leave this place is where the real work begins. And so this morning from this passage where the angels came, where the angels spoke directly to Mary, what does that mean for us today, Lord? 
What is the application for us? How do we take and move this forward in our faith journey, Lord? So help us in that, I pray. Keep us focused on you and on your word. We ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, if you have questions this morning, you can text them to that number on the screen. We will come up at the end of service. We'll answer those questions as best we can. This is a cool passage, right? So we've got this angel. Who, which angel came down? we got a name on this, don't we? So the angel Gabriel comes down, gives this incredible message to Mary. And not only is it cool that this angel came down and gave this message, but the message itself. Not only we should have, she would have a son without ever having known a man, as it says, but this son would be the son of the Most High. He would sit on the throne of his father David. He would reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end, and he will save his people from their sin. These are the labels, titles, roles, responsibilities of Jesus. Which one of those is your favorite? All of them. Son of the Most High, sitting on the throne of David, reigning over the house, kingdom have no end, save people from their sin. Any of those? You're like, yeah, I like that one. The sin one is a good one. Yeah. Anybody else? Kingdom without any end. I got a couple of those. Yeah, absolutely. These are incredible truths about who Jesus is and what his birth and eventual death would mean for all of us. The message to the the shepherds last week was that Jesus had come. The message this week to Mary is the why, the meat of what it meant for him to come. So here's my encouragement to you. Look at those titles in Luke chapter 1 that angel Gabriel lists for who Jesus would be. Find one or two and just kind of look through the scriptures and see throughout the rest of Luke and the other Gospels how those things actually come into play. Because we're not going to dig deep into those today. But I would encourage you this week, especially this week leading up to Christmas, develop a little bit more of the why in your own heart. Why this matters. Why it matters that his kingdom will have no end. Why it matters that he will save people from their sin. Why it matters that he will sit on the throne of David. So, my friends, we got to live in light of these truths every day. That's our goal, right? To live in light of these truths. And these things will never cease to be important. Those titles, those names will never, ever, ever cease to be important. We should rehearse them to ourselves every day. And we should remind ourselves and each other of them often. That's what we mean by rehearsing the gospel to ourselves. It's not a one and done kind of thing. We live in light of these truths. But then in addition to these truths, what are we to look at in this scripture, in this passage, and take by way of application? What are the indications from the scripture that Keith read a moment ago that are going to help us follow after God? Because that's what the word is for, right? It's for equipping us and helping us to know who God is, but also to enable us to move further down the path in our growth as Christians. So I want to ask And answer a couple of questions that help us do that. You ready? Okay, Lee is ready. I'm ready. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right, here's the first question we're going to ask. How do we hear the voice 
for the message of God? How do we hear it? We're talking about he who has ears, let him hear. We hear that phrase a lot in the scriptures. So how do we hear the voice of God? First of all, believe it or not, you have to want to hear it. You got to want to hear the word of God. Now that may sound a little strange, but you got to take into consideration that God, at least from our per- perspective right now, God doesn't generally nowadays send the angel Gabriel to give a loud, booming voice to you. Has anybody had that experience? Maybe you shouldn't raise your hand if you had. <clears throat> it, it probably doesn't happen as often as maybe it used to, right? But that being the case, then we need to pursue the voice of God. We need to want to hear from him. And there are a handful of scriptures that help us build this idea, this principle. One of the ones that we see is found in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 say this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. I think that captures that idea that we're supposed to pursue the things of God, doesn't it? To include hearing his voice. So does this mean that God doesn't pursue us at all? No, of course not. In fact, Jesus tells us himself in Revelation chapter 3 that he does something more than that. That he is knocking and speaking as well. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So we have some role to play in the fact that Jesus is knocking, speaking. We've got to hear and open and enter into that. Listen, friends, this is true for our salvation initially, but it's also true for the way in which we live out our faith. Constantly pursuing him, listening, opening, going after him. We should also seek to cultivate our relationship with the Lord. How many of you remember writing letters? Like pen and paper, not because it was cool, not because you wanted a cool pen pal, but because there was no internet and long distance phone calls were super expensive. Who was a letter writer like that? Okay, half and half, all right. I wasn't a big letter writer, ever, I'm still not. Outside of boot camp, where I wrote like 50,000 letters, right? Not a big letter writer. But I remember my mom was a huge writer. And she would write multiple letters a week. So, what you got? Come on, play it. Everybody look at Arlene. <laughs> Just kidding. We love you. Hey, at least it was the word of God. And you weren't playing like some crazy thing over there. So, letters. My mom. She was born and raised in Denmark. And she came to the States in her late teens. So her main form of communication with her parents and her sister were through letters. So her parents were divorced and her sister lived in Spain. So three letters, at least three letters a week were going out from our house. I took note of this when I was old enough to realize what was happening, you know, early 80s. I'm like trying to figure out life and I just keep seeing her writing, sitting down, writing, writing and reading. She would get this constant flow of letters over and over and over again. Now, if you haven't had to do this, this is a massive investment. I'm not talking like a three by five card of quick bullet points, like, hey, everything's good, we're great. Send money. You know, not like that. I'm talking pages, front and back, pages of 
writing. But this is how they primarily grew in their relationship, in their understanding, really, of who they were. My mom was 19 when she left. She was barely an adult. (laughs) How many of you were fully developed at 19 and and had the world figured out? Anybody? Any 19-year-olds who are like, yeah, I'm closing in on that? Levi, you're pretty close, right? You got it all figured out? No. But this is, this is how they did it. Thousands of miles apart. And it's actually how my grandparents and my aunt got to know me and my sister. Because like I told you, I wasn't very much of a letter writer. Maybe twice a year I would try to scramble together a letter and throw it in the mail. Maybe. So that made my relationship with them very one-sided for many, many years. Because I just didn't write. They knew me through my mom and through her investment in writing. But I didn't really know them. God knows you. He knows every one of you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought in your mind. But we cannot know him through anyone else. We must do the work of getting to know him for ourselves. Through his word, through prayer, through his people. And as that relationship grows and it deepens, we get to know him more and more. And we begin to understand him more. And when that happens, guess what happens? We begin to recognize his voice. We start to know what it sounds like. How he speaks to his people. We learn what brings him joy. What encourages him. What he loves just like we do with our friends and family members that we have invested and developed meaningful relationships with. It's not complicated, but it does take time and energy. Ultimately, we only hear the messages and the voice of God by his grace. There's no magic formula to unlock unlimited minutes with Jesus and hearing from his voice. There's no magic formula. In fact, he has demonstrated again and again that He's ready to speak, whether you're listening or not. How many of you have heard the voice of God when you didn't want to hear it at all? But sometimes you're like, nope, I don't want to hear what's happening. I want to give you a cool example because this is fun. It's fun for us that are not actively pursuing God. In fact, I would put us in the category of trying to go the other way of God and looking at his faithfulness. Put up Isaiah 30, if you would, Hannah. Isaiah 30 says, For a people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious. This is is God being gracious to Israel. He will surely be gracious to you, Israel, at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. Okay, that's cool. But, and, and through the Lord, and though the Lord, excuse me, give you bread of adversity and water of affliction, Yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. And your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or turn to the left, then you will defile your carved idols, overlaid with silver and gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things, and you will say to them, Be gone. So look at verse 22, hold that up there. What is Israel doing in this case? Are they serving the Lord? No. What are they serving? Gold and silver. Idols, things made of gold and silver and all these kinds of things. So they're, they're pursuing things other than God. Go back a verse, Hannah. But what is this voice behind them? 
This is the way. Walk in it. As they're serving other things, they're, they're pursuing idols, they're going the other way, there's this voice. No, no, no. Wrong answer. Go this way. He's gracious and loving and kind. When God speaks, he speaks. And I just love that about him. But we need to do our part in seeking him. We don't want to be like Israel and just let's test God on this and see if I go down this path where I don't belong. Let me just see if God will talk to me. Like, let's not test him in that way. Let's just pursue his voice and be ready to hear. So we do our part in developing our relationship with him, pursuing after him with our hearts and minds. And then we position ourselves to best hear from him. So that's how we can begin to hear from the Lord. We gotta want it. We gotta develop our relationship. We gotta spend time getting to know Him in His Word and in prayer. We gotta position ourselves to be able to hear from Him. Does that all make sense? So these are ways that we hear from the Lord. We hear the message of God. So the next question is about discernment. Because when God starts speaking and we hear it, other things get mixed in. And so we need a means by which to distill and discern which is God's voice and which is not. So how do we discern the voice or messages of God? And there are a lot of things that people have to say when it comes to discerning the voice of God. Let me just first say this. For most of us, it's not going to be some loud, booming voice from the outside trying to get our attention. It's not going to be a burning bush scenario. Okay, It's probably not going to work like that. And because of this, as God speaks to you and to me in times of prayer and in times of reading the Bible, it actually sounds a lot like ourself, our own voice, that voice, that narrative in your head where it sounds like you. And so we need some guidelines to begin to discern and distinguish between the voice of God and our own voice. Because if you're anything like me, I can insert my own voice in the, in the place of God and go, yeah, I think that's what God said. Where really it's just me like forcing myself on the scenario. So here's the first thing that we do when we discern the voice of God is we don't question what is clear. Don't question what is clear. Look at Mary's response in verse 34. In verse 34, she says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? So she's told by the angel Gabriel that she would conceive a son who would be the savior of the world and do all these incredible things. And she only wants to understand how it will happen, not whether it would happen. I think there's a difference between asking how and doubting it will happen at all. She seemed confident that it would happen. She only wanted to know how. And then we see this in verse 38 as well. Look, look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So, so God paints this big picture through the angel Gabriel of what would happen. Now the details and the specifics aren't there. And isn't that like God, right? He gives us the big chunks and so she just takes God at his word and goes. It's very clear to her that she was going to conceive this child. So she shouldn't question what is clear. The second tool that we can use in tandem with this, all of these go together. None of them are independent. So in tandem with this, the second tool we use in discerning the voice of God is that it must line up with the word of God. So you can't hear something really clearly like, 
you should run away and marry this person who's not your wife. Oh, I heard that really clear. That must be the Lord. Uh, no. <laughs> it has to line up with the word of God. So when we suspect that we hear from the Lord, then the message we hear must line up and held up against the word. Because the two will not be in conflict. They will not oppose each other. So in this example from Luke chapter 2, is this an exception? The fact that she was told by this angel that she was going to be a virgin who bore a child. Does this information about a virgin birth line up with the word of God at all? Okay, does anybody know where? Isaiah 7, 14. Good, God, good job, guys. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and hear, have a, what? And bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So there it is. Very clear. Hundreds and hundreds of years in advance. It does line up with the word of God, which probably helped to bolster Mary's confidence, or at least it should have, the fact that this is from the Lord. Now, in our context, as I said, it's probably going to be a little different. Maybe not as specific of a scenario for you, less literal, more than likely. For example, you're in prayer. You think you hear from the Word of God. You hear something, you're praying, you're trusting in God for something. You hear it, you jot it down, you begin to do the examination process. So here's a situation, just a scenario, so we can kind of use this in a practical sense. You got it, There's this job opening in your company, and it's in another city nearby. The position is going to force you to miss every Sunday in church and every Friday night life group. It also increases your workload to about 60 hours a week. You think it's the right choice, and you think you heard likewise from the Lord. So let me ask you this question. Is there anything definitively, definitively, from the Bible that would make it abundantly clear that you misheard God? That this is not a good idea. You should, according to the Bible, you should not do this. Anything definitive? Okay, we got some yeses, we got some noes over here. I guess this is where it gets tricky because we're trying to apply broad truths to specific situations. But that's the reality of trying to hear the word of God. Here, here are some things that I think are going to help get us there. Because I think there are some specific passages that can help. For example, I'd say that there are some scriptures that direct us in ways that would make taking this new job very questionable. For example, not being able to gather with God's people. Right? I heard somebody say Hebrews 10, right? That's problematic if you're a Christian. Some Christians would argue and say, no, I'm good. I don't need the people of God. And listen, a gathering in my mind is, is not exclusively Sunday morning. Like just, just being in community with other believers. There's a communal sense in us. Not just the church, but people, humans, are designed to be in community with one another. But all the more for us to be together. This is significant. And yes, as Julie said, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 talks about this. Let's put that one up. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, thinking beyond just Sunday morning, have you ever known a Christian who, for whatever reason, isn't really able to do life with you and gather with other Christians? How well do you know that person? If you don't do life with them, maybe you... They're not 
present on a Sunday morning. They don't really do life groups. They'll show up periodically. How well can you speak into their lives? And vice versa. How well they can speak into yours. Now, I think this is eh, maybe a little bit of a tangent, but the point is clear. Scripture should give you pause in the scenario that we just laid out in making this decision about taking the new job. Now, is this a foolproof system? Not necessarily, but there are tools that you can bring to bear. So the first one was don't ignore what's clear. has to be in tandem with the second one, which was it's got to line up with the Word of God. The last one we'll discuss in the process of discerning the voice and the message of God is this, the counsel of others. Again, done with the other two. I can't go to Mike and tell him, I think I'm supposed to do this X, Y, and Z thing. That doesn't line up with the scripture. That it was not very super clear, um, but he's going to tell me, yeah, go ahead and do it. I, I love Mike and I trust him. But I'm going to bring the other two to bear on the situation that I want it to line up with the word of God, that I want to be sure that I'm hearing from, from, from him. So when we have a situation and we think we've heard from God, but we're not sure, the counsel of other people is very important. The Bible actually tells us that there's what in that? There's wisdom in that. Proverbs 15.22. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Amplified Version says, Without consultation and wise advice, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, they are established and succeed. We are that counsel. One another, people that you trust, people that you can fight in, people that you can bring information to. Sharing with others, particularly people who you do trust, who are maybe a little bit further down the path in life and in their faith that can hear and listen and discern and maybe point you back to the scripture and show you, yes, it does line up with the word, or no, it probably doesn't line up with the word of God. So the counsel of others. I think that's enough on discerning the word of God. If you have more questions about this, please... um, Text questions or, or come in and talk to us, and that's fine. But um, we need to be able to discern the word of God. And in fact, in our passage, Mary paused, didn't she? She tried to discern what this message was about this birth, and she's like, whoa, wait a minute. So this idea of being able to discern and hear and know and be confident that you heard is a skill that we need to be able to have. So how do we hear the voice? How do we discern the voice? And then the third question we're going to ask is, how do we apply it? How do we apply the the message that we hear from the Lord? Okay, so we've heard from the Lord. Now we're confident. We've walked through this process and we're like, yes, this is from the Lord. I'm going to walk in this. What do we do now? Well, I think there are three things that we see from Mary's example in in the remainder of chapter one that we should implement in applying. Here are the three things. Priority, praise, and position. Priority, praise, and position. So in verse 39, Mary went, she went slowly to visit Elizabeth, right? That's what it says. We didn't read that part, but it doesn't say that in verse 39. You can look at Luke 2, 39. What does it say? Thank you for the wrong verse. Oh, 139, sorry, 139. What am I doing? Where am I? Thank you. Verse 39. I was looking at chapter 3. In those days Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country in town Judah. So she's going to visit 
Um, Elizabeth, what other place do we hear this term with haste recently? Jonah. Jonah? Does Jonah go with haste? When he runs away. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Good. Yeah, we were in Jonah. That's, that's good. That's good. Um, the shepherds also went with haste when they heard the a message from the angels. Um, they went to see Jesus, right? So there's a sort of a trend, if you will, being being brought in here. They went with haste. So uh, I think there's a, a need for immediate action. We hear from God, and we do something immediately. Again, if you're like me, and you don't, as they say, turn and burn, right away, the likelihood of me actually doing something, the more time elapses, gets further and further and further away from actually happening. Is anybody else like that? Okay. So... Immediate action, with haste. Okay, we're confident that we heard from God. Let's go. Let's get it done. We have to prioritize action and obedience when we hear from the Lord. The second thing is praise. This may come as weird to us, but praise is a priority when we do hear from the Lord. He's not obligated to speak to us. Is he? Is there anything in the Bible that says he has to speak to you? Not that I know of, but he does, and thank God that he does. So when we hear from him, another response from us should be praise, should be thanksgiving. This is what we see from Mary in her beautiful song. There's a whole section here in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1, Mary's song of praise. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You continue through there. But you see this beautiful praise that Mary offers to the Father. Amazing. Lift up your voices in praise to God as he speaks to you through his word, through prayer, and through his people. You continue down to verse 56, we see that Mary travels back home and she begins to position herself for action. So this is the third thing that we can do implying the message of God. Position ourselves for application. In other words, you got to make time, make space, make arrangements, do what needs to be done in order to follow God's leading with minimal distractions and obstacles. It's easy to get in our own way. How many times do we get in our own way as we're trying to do the right thing? Man, we, we were good at like putting stumbling blocks in front of ourselves or pitfalls or we get easily distracted. Man, position ourselves for action and then, bam, go. In a manner of speaking, we're setting ourselves up for success. I hope that makes sense. Priority, praise, and position. These are steps that we can take in applying the message that we hear from God. That's what we see in Mary. And we see a lot of times when people hear from the Lord these exact same things. Even when they don't have the full picture. Think of Abraham. He's the one that always comes to my mind when people are like, what do I do? I want to hear from God. I want specifics. And Abraham got, go over there. Okay. 
When? Why? Where? Like, I have all these questions. Like, what do you... No, just, just, just go. Okay. <laughs> and he goes. The angel's candle that we lit today is about the message of Jesus and who he was. The great news that will be for all people. And there's, there's a lot of great help from the Lord in the application of his word, as we just outlined. But don't, don't forget the message of Jesus, the one proclaimed by the angel Gabriel, that he would be the son of the Most High, that he would sit on the throne of his father David, that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever, that his kingdom would have no end, and that he would save people from their sin. These are the reasons that we have to rejoice this Christmas and every Christmas. When they say that Jesus is the reason for this season, this is what it means. It's not just a cool, catchy little phrase that we throw in non-believers' faces. No, this is the reason for the season that, that he came to fulfill these promises. And there's great hope and joy in them. So rejoice with me today and every day as we live in light of these truths. I had a lot of fun walking through this this series with you guys. Because we haven't really done something this specific, this tied into Christmas. We'll take, you know, maybe the, the, the Sunday before or Christmas Eve and do a Christmas message. But I think there's a lot of value in this. Because there's so much depth to the birth of Jesus that we just kind of condense down into just a celebration on Christmas morning of opening presents. And, and yeah, we, we talk about Jesus. And we're glad that he came. But there's so much more to the story. I would, I would love for you to <clears throat> read Luke chapter 2 every day this week leading up to Christmas. And try to, to take something from it that you've not taken before and use that as a way of growing in your love for him, in your appreciation for him, for the Father, for sending his Son in this way. I think it's a great way that we can begin to, to do the things that we're talking about in applying the Word of God in us, in each other, and grow in that. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for your love for us, God. Thank you to our Heavenly Father who sent his Son to be born in this fashion. As we've learned over the last couple of weeks, under humble and meager beginnings that did not define who he was and did not set him on a path for failure, but there was a purpose in all of it. And we learned some of those titles this morning about who you are, Christ. And that it was incredible news of great joy that would be for all people. I'm so grateful, Lord, that we have this message of hope. And the things that we've learned over the last several weeks and the shepherds and their response and the fact that you chose them is meaningful and powerful for us, God. We see Mary's response to the word and, and 
The fact that you speak to your people is a beautiful and amazing thing. God, open our ears to hear from you in this Christmas season. God, are the ways in which you desire for us to live differently because of the hope we have in you, Christ? Are there things that we need to do with greater purpose, greater consistency, greater investment? God, we desire to grow. God, in this next week, as we maybe slow some of our schedules and responsibilities, I just pray that you would help us to make time for you in ways that will really bring some of these truths to the surface. We'll open our eyes, our ears to hear things that we maybe haven't heard before. Give us a desire to hear from you. God, you're, you're knocking and the door's open. Let us walk in and hear from you freely. God, thank you for each one here this morning. Truly, Lord, for each person sitting in a chair this morning, I'm grateful that they're here. And God, you love them more than, than I ever could. And you brought them here for such a time as this, in this place, for this reason, to hear the hope that there is in you, Christ. And to celebrate that hope and to live in light of it. So thank you for it all. Thank you that you are the reason for this season. And let us live in light of it. God, help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.